Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Amen. Epiph, let's give Pastor Lionel some good Brooklyn love. Love you, bro. Brother. That, that video though, man, I'm sitting there like, I don't know how you did it, but you did. Why did I get a call to do a happy birthday? Shut it out. I'm just <laughs> so that that was awesome. Hey, I, I, I'm 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 ready to jump into the word. Uh, thank you for that prayer. I like to just pray this brief, brief, beat brief prayer here, which is, Lord, I ask you to speak through me as I share with people you love deeply. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, Epiphany Brooklyn is one of my favorite places to be. I get to travel a bit, and and I will honestly say, from what I understand, I'm getting the privilege to speak in the most superior borough. Uh, my wife's from the Bronx, and so she's not here today, so I can say that freely without judgment or reparations that I will get in it. And you know, and if I, he threw up the X. I, I apologize, Papa, but we're in Brooklyn. We're Brooklyn at Aki, Papi Smooth, ya tu sabes. Mero, pero. And uh, uh, thank you. And I do know, I'm, 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 if you're wondering, I'm African American and Puerto Rican. I know my half, other half, I found out the parade is today. And so, any Boricuas here, I don't know if you're here, but brother, let me tell you something. Very few cultures are as proud to be Puerto Rican or <laughs> like, I grew up in North North. Tons of Puerto Ricans, and the, the flags are out. You know, all the uh, Honda Civics are souped up and ready to go. And so, uh, anyway, uh, it's, uh, it, that might have been a little stereotypical, but it's true. So, um, we're going to jump in, man. I, I'm excited. I'm excited for what, what God has to say. You know, one of the practices I, I do and I try to implement in my life at the top of the year, uh, not, not so much just uh, this whole concept of resolutions, but goals. And, and the reason why I say that is I often look at, when I look at my role and I get to serve as a teaching pastor and I oversee aspects of the church's function, I go, what do I want to see done throughout this year as I look at my role? And one of the things I often find myself doing, not to concoct it from my head out of the blue, I go back to my job description. I go back to the original documentation of why I was brought to Christ Church and God brought me there to complete that which he's called me to complete. And in order to go forward, I got to go back to the original documentation. I believe it's the same way. In order for us to understand, listen, what God has to say about the church and how we do church today, we need to go back to what was on Jesus's original, what was on his heart when he first brought it up in the Gospels. What, what was not so much the prescriptive and descriptive measures, which you find in Acts, prescriptive, what each church, to function as a church, he prescribed certain things like the word of God, the breaking of bread, so on and so forth. But what was the affect? What was the feel? Better yet, what is the impact Jesus had in mind when he first spoke of his church? That's what I want to see here in Matthew 16. What is the affect? What is it that we were supposed to feel? The title of my talk today is The Empowered Church. 
What were the results it was going to get? As I'm getting ready to read Matthew 16, I want to let you know he's in Caesarea of Philippi. He's about to have this conversation with Peter. And then uh, the disciples are in earshot of him, so they're present. Caesarea Philippi is on Gentile land, but about 25 miles north, you'll see Galilee, or it's 25 miles north of Galilee, but it's above ground. So essentially, they're about a thousand feet above sea level. So from Jesus's old stopping grounds in Galilee, you would have been able to see Caesarea Philippi where he's talking in a primarily Gentile land. And I do think it interesting that he's about to declare what he has for the church on a Gentile land. I want you to think about this. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to unpack some nutrients, I believe, that we can draw from as we think through the Empowered Church. If I could make a subtitle, I would say the Empowered Church and its DNA. What's in the DNA? Matthew 16, 13 through 20 reads, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he questioned his disciples. Who do people say the son of man is they replied some say john the baptist others say elijah and still others jeremiah or one of the prophets but what about you who do you say i am probably one of the most important questions we'll ever get in our lives who do you say i am simon peter answered you are the messiah the son of the living god Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let me stop there. There's some overarching principles I would love for us to draw, corporate ones and then personal. And the first principle I want us to see as we think about the empowered church is the church's foundation. The church's foundation. We see the conversation between him or he and the disciples, Peter, what they like to call him, the disciple with the foot shaped mouth because he was always speaking out of turns. He was the loud one. He was quick. And so sometimes he put his foot in his mouth because he couldn't live up to what he was just saying. But this time he gets it right. And when you think about the foundation, verse 18, the first part says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. This phrase has often been controversial throughout church history it's where even catholics get their theology or philosophy for uh, the papacy being having a pope so they say peter was the first pope this is the verse they utilize as a proof text to say hey this is where it happened uh, though i'm not sure that was the case or what jesus was saying but was peter special what was he saying he looks at peter he says on this rock i will build my church and i'm looking at the foundation listen i want you to get context because some scholars will say this when you look in the original text, when you look at the language, Peter is the word Petro, his word. He was playing on his word, rock. So Petros is the masculine form of the word stone. So he says Petro. However, get this, Jesus utilizes the term Petra, which is the feminine version for the same root word. So let me quote it. 
According to one scholar, Petra is used in classical Greek as a collection of stones coming together to make one large stone. And so what he's saying is, you disciples that are here, you're the collection of stones that I'm coming together to bring glory to Jesus Christ, the solid rock, the one large stone. In fact, Ephesians 3 gives us more context. He says this, Ephesians 2, sorry, 19 and 20, consequently, you're no longer foreigners, strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus being the what? Chief corner stone. So it wasn't Peter, you're the rock. He's saying, you guys are the collective rock that I'm going to build my church. But get this, I'm the foundation. I'm the chief cornerstone. And so what we build today, you and I here today, we are part of the collection of rocks bringing glory to the great chief cornerstone. So he uses people to build this church, but the foundation is Jesus. I'm all about relevancy. I'm all about encountering culture proper. I'm all about packaging the gospel in a way that makes sense to the people he's called us to serve. But if my packaging doesn't start to look like Jesus, then I'm not with it. The foundation never changes. Your presentation of the foundation could change, but Jesus is the foundation. So he makes this case. Now my next question then, well, Who's the church then? Who is the church is clear. I jumped to 18, but right before that, uh, he says, listen, he calls, he said, um, this church, the word in the original language is the ecclesia, the called out ones. You're the church. I love the way Dr. Tony Evans gave us a very pedestrian definition of the church. He says, the church is a special assembly of people called out from the world to become part of God's family. He didn't call you out to be part of a building. He didn't call you out to be part of some social club. He didn't call you out to just be part of some knack or some clique. He called you out to be part of his family. So the, your creator, you're no longer just part of his creation. Now you are son and daughter. So there's something to be said. I'm, I'm giving you what's the empowered church. An empowered church understands that there is a foundation on the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I always find it interesting, and that's why I gave you the geographical uh, coordinates of where he was. I always find it interesting. He could have proclaimed this in Jerusalem. He could have proclaimed this anywhere. He proclaimed this to a gang of misfits in a, in a, in a Gentile land. I, it's my belief that God always had in mind for the outcast to be part of his body for the marginalized to be part of his body for those who are overlooked to be part of his body you think you got to get it all right to be part of his body he's like the fact you don't have it right is the reason why i'm calling you to be part of my body this you don't try to get right people i want to i need to get right before i become part of the lord's church i need to it's like somebody i need to i need to wash up before i get in the shower You need to let the, the shower of grace hit you in order to really get you. And you see, don't, I need to wash up before I get in the shower. How'd that sound? Make no sense. But the, the thing is, I find it interesting that he says that. And then what is our access point? Our access point is Peter. Peter shows us the access part. He, he, he goes, hey, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You, you are the one. You came and you are the one to come. You, you're, you're, you're the access point here. And he gets it right. He goes, hey, flesh and bones didn't reveal this to you, Peter. 
the spirit of God was drawn. It's the, like the philosopher Hegel said, God is always previous. You thought you had a good idea to follow God and you found out he was following and chasing and pulling you in the whole time. The access point is to acknowledge who he is, believe in your mouth and say, confess with your tongues. I mean, so believe in your heart, confess with your tongue who he is, a savior. And he does that. He goes, hey, this is the access point. And now you and I get to be part of the foundation. The world may never understand like he had his gang of misfits and people don't understand the beauty of what God is doing in the church. I don't care. Culture can be antithetical to church. I get it. But I want you to know that the chief cornerstone sees a beauty in his body regardless. He always sees it. He doesn't lose sight of it. It reminds me of what was going on in 1889. The chief architect of this site built up this large iron showcase. He thought it was beautiful. Nobody in his country thought it thought, thought the same way. Many people, as he was building it and it was done, get this thing out of here. We don't want this here. When the, when the showcase is over, can you please have them take it down? People wanted it down. People could not see the beauty in it. And you're wondering, what, is you, what are you talking about? Who's this chief architect? His name is Alexander Gustav Eiffel. He is known for building the Eiffel Tower. The very thing that draws people to Paris now to go see is the very thing that people wanted to knock down. But the chief architect always knew there was a beauty in it, even if people didn't get it yet I want you to know our chief architect knows there's a beauty in his body even if the world doesn't fully understand it the world may never understand how much they need the church but the church needs to be vibrant and alive and needs to trust God as a firm foundation it doesn't change you and I make it up it's not the building it's not the facility though it's great and I love what God is doing through Epiphany, man. I love what he's done in this. I love the building. I love this. I love that. But it's not that. That's where we gather together. But I want you to know, man, there's something about it's you and I, the misfits that he called. We're the church. If we have to go and gather in the middle of the street, we'll still be the church. If this building caught, God forbid, if something happened to this building, we'll still be the church. We have him as the foundation. There's another key piece I don't want us to miss, man. As he's outlining some of the affect, what he believes the church is going to have. I want you to look at part B of 18. I'm going to read the whole verse 18 again. He says, and I want to highlight this point. If I could umbrella this point, if you will, if I could put it under a canopy, it will be the church's victory. The church's foundation and now the church's victory. And I tell you that you are Peter. We talked about that. On, on this rock, I will build my church. He's talking about Petra, the collective. And listen to this. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Uh, as soon, listen, listen. If we're going to understand that, he says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We must realize that as soon as he puts the church into motion, I'm going to build my church. He brings up there's an adversary. We'll be will be misconstrued if we don't recognize that the devil ain't just going to let you live out God's will. Now, let me just be clear. As everybody want to go to heaven. 
everybody, you know, even in the award show, Lord, I just want to thank God for Shorty dropping low and, and just allowing me to get to heaven after I dropped Shorty, dropped, anointed by the Lord to drop Shorty dropping low and God got me in there, you know, and everybody wants this, this experience, this God's blessing. But as soon as he says, hey, we're going to, hey, hey, listen, we're going to build the church, we're going to do something, he brings up in the same breath, but there's an adversary that's going to try to stop you. He says the gates, gates of Hades, same one right there. And, and, and uh, you go gates of Hades, it's, it's simply the gates of Hades or some call it hell. It alludes to, this is what it alludes to, satanic authorities in the spiritual realm that manifest themselves in the natural realm. It's going to try to stop you. Oh man, I, I, I can't, listen, I, don't, I can't preach that part without bringing attention to a truth here. I can't go any deeper. Notice what he says. I'm going to put something in motion and the gates of hell are going to try to stop it. I want you to see what the implication is. Christians were never meant to live on the defensive. He said, I'm going to offensively put my will in motion and something is going to try to resist it. Too many of us are living, waiting on defense. The devil, I'm scared. The devil around the corner. No, 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 no. The life of the believer is offensive living and walking out by faith with the enemy trying to stop what God is doing in you. Stop living defensively. Stop being so quick to throw in the towel. Stop being so shook. Oh my goodness. Another mandate. Another this. Another that. I don't want, and I'm not minimizing any of those things but I do know this if God be before me who can stand against me who can keep going I don't know what it is that you're experiencing I don't know what it is that you're going through on your job I don't know what it is that you're going through in your family I don't know who hurt you I don't know who wounded you I don't want that to stop you from living offensively and in the will of God still keep going still keep fighting oh but pastor nobody believes in me nobody oh my lord if you got God on your team you got all you need and now listen I, I am I'm a man of I love authority I love community I love to, to to come by I got brothers I never try to make a flippant move without bouncing it off somebody and go hey how do you think this is how does this sound to you but too often too often and I've been guilty of this too often we're living our Christian walks on the defense and we're not thinking strategically and we're not offensive and we're not living like victors He proclaimed, I'm going to get something going, and there's going to be an adversary that's going to try to hold you back. When I think of living offensively, I think of a rhino. I've had the opportunity, I was doing some leadership work, I was accompanying somebody doing some leadership work in Kenya, and I was in Nakuru, Kenya. Capital is Nairobi. I was out in Nakuru about, about, I want to say, about a 45-minute trip on normal roads, about a three-hour trip on unpaved roads <laughs> to Nakuru. When I was in Nakuru, see, the safaris in Africa are much different than the safaris here. The safaris here, you feel super safe with the fence and the bars and all that. When I went to the safari in Kenya, $20, sign your life over. Going to the jungle. True story. If you're online, hide your kids, hide your wife. No, it was, it was scary. 
Yeah, really. $20? They're like, yo, no insurance. You, you sign off your life. You think I'm joking. They make you sign $20 and they be like, yo, go enjoy yourself in the jungle. There's a line out there, Ryan. And you got to go in the car you had. So you better hope that car you had is legit. Some of you got no business bringing the car you got up in that jungle. Well, you might not get out. But I got to see a rhino cost right in front of the car. When I think of the rhino, you're like, why do you think of the rhino? Because one of the things about the rhino is a rhino can run up to 30 miles per hour at top speed. I know some of you are shocked. 30 miles per hour. A rhino. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, 30 miles per hour. And if some of you are like, I can't gauge 30 miles per hour. Let me give you this little factoid. A squirrel at top speed can run 26 miles per hour. Now you got it. See, all my city folk, like, I get it. I know squirrels. I mean, you talking rhinos. We talking squirrels. Squirrel. Pigeons, squirrels. I know rats this big, but I'm saying rhino. I know your rats about the size of a rhino, but I, that's not a rhino. 26 miles per hour. What's more interesting about that, I'm talking about living offensively. What's more interesting about the rhino is, is get this. The interesting fact is a rhino can only see up to 30 feet in front of it. Only 30 feet. And, and, and get this, when our rhinos are together, who knows what a group of rhinos together is called? Bring your degree back. No, I'm, I didn't know either until I did the study on it. I ain't gonna lie to you. It's a crash. It's called a crash. They're called a crash of rhino. That's how you say a group of rhinos. Even if they're standing still, they're called a crash. What's interesting is that a rhino does not mind operating at high octane at top speed. They'll go 30 miles per hour at the drop of a dime if they need to. And when they go, it's called a crash of rhino. And my question is, wow, that takes some gall. You can only see 30 feet in front of you, but you're willing to go up to 30 miles per hour right ahead. Why does that take gall? And why would a rhino have the audacity to do that? The reason a crash of rhino have the audacity to run at top speed, 30 miles per hour, even though they can see 30 feet, is this. They know what's at 31 feet better be more concerned about them then they need to be concerned about it so they run they walk by faith and not by sight they're not worried about they can't see it all they know that they run with such a destructive measure that it breaks down any barrier ahead of them I need you to know some of you need to be like the rhino and run at a high octane speed towards the Lord and fulfill what God has for you you may only be able to see 30 feet but if God is with you whatever's at 31 feet better be more concerned about the God you serve than you on the other end of that. So some of you need to be a rhino. I mean, come on, text your neighbor, text somebody, tell them I'm a rhino. <laughs> be like, about time, because you did put on some weight during quarantine. I'm not trying to keep it real with you, but, you know, I put on a little sub. My wife, she, I'm telling you, we, seven years ago, she married a Mercedes-Benz coupe. Now I'm looking like a Honda Odyssey, you feel me? But, but I'm still, I'm something though, dog. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, I'm saying, I ain't the coupe like I use. I got a third rose, extra baggage and stuff. I got some stuff, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more comfortable. Well, I put on a little weight. And I think, Brandon, I think last time you amen that too much. Like, yeah, you was here during the pen. Yeah, you did, bro, a little something. Now, I was a little slim. I wasn't Pastor Brandon slimmer, but I was slimmer. You know what I was slim. But we need to be like the rhino. In that, we go after God by faith, man. By faith. Because we live offensively. You say, what's offensive living, pastor? 
You know what living offensively looks like? I want to walk in obedience to God. You know what living offensively looks like? When I step out, when there's a transgression, when I sin, I don't, I don't let it just hinder my heart. I confess quickly and run back to God. Oh, man, but I messed up in that area. Well, then get back up again in that area and keep going forward. Offensive living looks like I'm volunteering my time at the church and I'm helping, helping things go through to fulfill the vision of epiphany. Offensive living is like when I'm pursuing justice in the land. Offensive living is when, I, when the orphans are being brought in. Offensive living is when I'm feeding the feeding the homeless or, or, or healing the sick. Offensive living means I'm not waiting for uh, on the corner to wait for the devil to act. I'm living my best life in the name of Jesus and doing what I need to do. And by the way, your best life, what is your best life? The will of God. Offensive living. You had, he had in his mind when he brought up the church victory already there. He had it in his mind. And he was simply reminding them, don't be alarmed, but the gates of Hades, spiritual, spiritual forces will try to stop you. But guess what? I got the victory already. So he lets them know. I want you to own that on a personal level. I wonder what area of your life you've been on the defense when God's like, I want you on the offense. I really feel led to say some of you are overanalyzing a move you have been supposed to make. Some of you know, as soon as I said it, something came in your heart that was like, man, I was supposed to take this step of faith a long time ago. And I've been sitting here analyzing it and coming up with a whole theology on why I shouldn't do it. But God keeps pressing on your heart. You know, it's the voice of God because when you, before you go to bed, it's the same thing there. When you wake up in the morning, it's the same thing there. And I just want to encourage you, just do it. Trust God with it. My last and, and, and final point, because I really believe God wants to do something unique even here, specifically for Epiphany and what I've seen throughout this journey and how I've seen God work in your pastor and in the life of the church and the, the leaders that are here, which can I just encourage you? You got incredible leaders here, man, that really love Jesus, that are humble, that serve the Lord. Not perfect leaders, but incredibly sensitive to the Lord leaders. Can I just say parenthetically, never take that for granted. Never take that for granted. On my last and final point, wasn't just the church's foundation that I think we get a clear understanding where Jesus is drawing attention to himself, saying, with you all, I'm going to build this. Not just the victory, because he does tell them right away, hey, we're going to get some something in motion. The enemy's going to try to stop it. Lastly, the church's authority. It's a little bit different than victory and a little bit different than foundation. We have authority because of the foundation, though, because of who Jesus is. The foundation, I always wanted to make clear your access point. How do you get? What is the church, right? Then the victory, I need you to understand, we live offensively. We walk by faith, right? We not by sight. Now, the authority is a bit different in that, listen, you can have a different infrastructure of another building. I've worked nonprofit. I've worked nonprofit. I'm currently full-time in a church, which is considered nonprofit, but I've worked, quote-unquote, 
this term secular nonprofit. And though I've done great things for our after school program, I was a program director. I had a staff of about 15 people and 150 students. We were doing some great things. And though that was great and I was meeting a felt need, it didn't have the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ behind it. And that's the difference between any other organization or organism in the church. And he speaks to the authority. He speaks to it right here. Verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When he says the you, by the way, he's talking to Peter and Nam, <laughs> the general you, the collective. He's saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do. Jesus always knew what his mission was. And as, as I built this church, you're going to have a unique role. I, I'm going to give you some authority. Keys speak to access. I'm going to give you some access to authority. And he goes on to go, hey, you're, gonna, you're the called out body of believers. And he says, I'm going to give you authority, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let me be clear. The kingdom of heaven in the context of this term, the text analysis would be the rule and the reign of God. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and the reign of God. Now, he uses the church, right, to fulfill his rule and reign in this area. But I want you to understand, the church and the kingdom of heaven are not the same. The rule and the reign of God, listen, God's going to reign whether the, the church acknowledge him or not. It says, the word says he reigns on the just as well, on the, as, well as the unjust. He's a sovereign God. He, he doesn't, uh, respectfully speaking, he doesn't need you and me. We get the privilege to be yoked to him. And it's disrespectful. Don't get it twisted now. Don't, you know what I mean? don't, don't think you're the hot shot in these streets. You feel me? Your sneaker's dope, but you ain't that dope. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need any of us, but he's self-existent and self, he can, he can take care of himself. But listen, he is going to reign this, uh, 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 on this world regardless if we acknowledge him or not. But then he gives us authority as the church to manifest his will. Get this, it's, the church should be an extension of the kingdom of God. It shouldn't be us building our own little kingdoms. You see? You see that? It's an extension of the kingdom. Sometimes we get into the trap, we build our own little kingdoms and cliques and our little popular crowds and stuff. You know? That's for another sermon, though. That's for because 9:30 service needed that. This service, y'all good though. Y'all mad holy up here. This the this is the holy service. 9:30, we work and just pray for you know. Those of you online, that was for y'all actually, because y'all supposed to be here right now, in fact. Y'all supposed to be here. So we live out. He says, now I'm going to give you authority to get access so what you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Now, I've seen people flippantly use this. Now, and I don't want to come against it because I've heard it in prayer. Lord, we bind this, we loose that, we bind this and loose that. And I get it. Listen, I've prayed like that, but I want to make sure it's contextually proper. And I want to quote Dr. Kenneth West, who, who commentated, a scholar who looked at this to make sure we have, listen, proper parameters on how we execute this. He says, <clears throat> whatever you bind on earth or forbid to be done shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth or permit to be done, get this, shall have already been loosed in heaven. Jesus did not say God would obey what they did on earth, but they should on earth 
obey whatever God willed. <laughs> the church doesn't get man's will done in heaven. It obeys God's will on earth. So I need you to know, don't go use it out bind and loose against somebody you don't like. Oh, now it makes sense. You're like, why are you talking about theology? Because some we bind and loose. We bind and loose. You just you just back and took your seat. That's your seat every week. And they took your seat, you bind and loose in them. No. But if God put it on your heart to bind and loose those that have been in captivity, those that have been so oh, so under duress, so oppressed, but the authority of the Holy Spirit within you said, I bind and I loose that which has been holding you back. You better know it's the will of God for us to walk in freedom, that who the sun sets free is free indeed. And that's what makes the church unique it's the church that can make a wicked heart be as white as snow before a holy god it's the church that he could use to take a broken marriage and restore it to be a model marriage it's the church he could use to take a wayward child who could care less about god oh but bring him to the foot of the cross and make him one of his best servants it's the church that can impact the community that's been so all far off from god walking so away from the will of god i want you to see something that god has given let's make it specific or some would say pacific make it pacific to epiphany brooklyn right here make it real pacific god has given you the authority over brooklyn new york to proclaim the gospel to see people come to know him in a very transformative way he has called you he has appointed you you're not here by a mistake there was a vision imparted in a, a certain individual and he brought a team around him but i want you to know the least of these to the greatest of these however you put it is important for this team to be all that it's called to be the authority is not giving to a title titles mean nothing it means nothing in the title sense functioning in that role means something but the title in and of itself means I don't care how much online seminaries you do that you get the 99 cent title real quick just to marry your cousin Mustafa and them. And listen, that, that ain't going to give you the authority that God bestows upon somebody. It's not about the title. It's about who is walking in the will of God. By his grace. And he's so gracious, he's still making straight lines with crooked sticks. He's gracious. He's gracious. So all I came to remind you, church, is what an empowered church looks like. An empowered church understands its foundation is on Jesus. An empowered church understands victory. That means they're living offensively. They're living in a way that speaks of faith-filled risk. An empowered church is walking the authority God bestowed upon them. That's all. That's what it is. I'll close with this story. It was Gregory P. Elder, the author, who went on to say he grew up by the Atlantic coast and he loved to build sandcastles. And so and he would go and build these immaculate sandcastles as a kid and it would last a couple days. So he looked forward to it every time when that summer came in and he would build these lavish sandcastles. But one time it was a little different. He noticed like as weeks were going by, his sandcastle by like later on that day would be trampled. And so he's like, bro, I'm building this sandcastle and it's being trampled. Why, why is this thing trampled? So he stuck around and hood, hid back in behind the bushes, so to speak. When he built the castle, he would see these little, little other 
humans would come and just mean little kids. Y'all don't know none of them here, but other churches know mean kids. They would go and they would stomp out his sandcastle. He was like, oh, I got something for them. Gregory P. Elder, he says he found all this gravel and stone and, rock and sharp rocks, and he put it at the base of the sandcastle. So next time they, he built this castle right over it. Next time they came, what had happened was <laughs> when they went to go step and crush the castle where he built, they stepped into some solid rock. I want you to know the enemy may try to abort a mission over your life, but if that life is built on a solid rock, it's going to be more damage to the enemy than I'll ever be to what God is building in you. So I don't care what's trying to stomp you out, what's trying to discourage you. Let it run into the solid rock of Jesus Christ in your life. I want to do a corporate prayer together. Maybe you're here and you recognize I want you to get one area that you know you've been living defensively. It's gotten the best of you. I, I know the area in my life. This is not to you. I'm, I'm preaching with you. <laughs> There's an area in my life that I know I haven't had the victory that I believe God has for me. So what is yours? And right now, between you and the Lord right now bring it to him say Lord Jesus I've been on the defense with this I haven't given you the rule and the reign and the authority over this area of my life I repent forgive me for not walking in alignment with you I ask right now by your Holy Spirit empower me to walk in your will to walk in your way to walk with my affections enamored by you renew my all Lord I'm low in faith <laughs> add to it Lord help me to live offensively help me to be a dangerous person in your hand towards the enemy's camp I thank you for what you're doing going to do and what you have done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll bring up Pastor B.